This is Do We Like Movies. It's a podcast where two guys review individual movies, sequels, and occasional television shows. In this show, we talk about our experiences with them, and we answer the question, Do we like this movie? Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I am Vengeance, your host, Tommy. <laughs> and all right, so this is uh, our review of The Batman. Yeah. Uh, dude, we first made reference to this film project, like I think the fifth episode of this show when we talked Batman Begins back in 2019. Was that the fifth episode of our show? Yes. We did not wait that long to go into Batman. <laughs> No, we went into Batman pretty early in the run of this show. And as I said, like when we did Dark Knight and when we've done some of these Batman movies, we've done a surprising amount of Batman so far. It's just we've been smart enough to space out some of the Batman that we've done. Yeah, unlike the Marvel one. But I guess when you have 32 movies that you can go through, you can do like a Marvel month and still not even touch like half of that catalog. Well, I think the why Marvel kind of worked for us too is hey, we are for as much as we enjoy the Marvel stuff, and I'm probably gonna make a lot of Spider-Man No Way Home references in this. Um, I think you know, obviously we're both Batman fans, we're both DC fans. Mm-hmm. So this is where we're really gonna live in terms of like, you know, just just where our I mean, obviously, we don't know very much of what the other thinks about this coming into this episode outside of I think we both really like this movie. Yep. So shut off the podcast, y'all. You got what you needed in the first five minutes. (laughs) But if you want to stay and listen to us, like talk about the actual movie, feel free. Understand that this will be a spoiler filled podcast review. We will be we will be spoiling a lot of this, so don't give me none of this. Oh, they spoiled the movie. Yeah, that I mean, we're like two hundred episodes in. You know, (laughs) yeah. Only listen to this if you've already watched the movie and you want to hear somebody talk about what you watched. If you want to hear like out of shape nerds get (laughs) tired (laughs) talking about a three hour movie. All right, so. Without further ado, I guess we could talk about our experiences with this. People who have been following us on Instagram probably do know that uh, I watched this movie for the first time. I watched it twice before we record this podcast now. That's how I know you were excited because you put the entire outing with you and your wife like on our IG page. And I was like, you never put outings like that. Well, it was. I knew you were excited for this movie. Yeah, it's honestly, it's been a long time since I because early on in this, like even when we talked about it two years ago or three years ago, when we did Batman Begins, I wasn't sure this movie was ever coming out. Mm -hmm. This is one of those things where it's like this movie, like I think at one point it was supposed to be the Ben Affleck Batman movie Mm -hmm. and it was supposed to be like a Arkham story where all the Arkham criminals break out and then he has to like fight Deathstroke or something like it felt like the plot of an Arkham game like mm-hmm. where 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 it seemed like this was going and I was excited about it because at least at that time like you know we already knew that Ben Affleck as a director had was making good stuff mm-hmm. so I would have figured it sounds like it would have followed your more prototypical superhero story 
Uh, yeah. Like three <laughs> act fights. Some, you know, he gets his ass kicked in the second act. Something happens. He comes back and he beats Deathstroke. And it's like, you can only watch that story a certain amount of times before you're like, yeah, I'm cool. <laughs> yeah. And I think when I heard Ben Affleck was leaving the project, I mean, it was around the time that all the shit with Justice League was happening. And you're like, yeah, everything seems like it's falling apart for DC right now. It just doesn't really. Like I, I did, I wasn't excited for it. And even though like I was excited for Matt Reeves, I thought Matt Reeves was a good director. I, I just didn't really know what to expect from it. And mm-hmm. I think it's just the hype kind of died for a few years. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're in the pandemic in 2020 and the, the all virtual DC fandom event happens and they like do a sizzle reel of the stuff that they had shot so far for, for the Batman. And, when I saw that, I was like, oh, my God, like this is it's good. It looks, you know, and I think we're going to talk about this probably in this episode. I'll probably talk about it now just so I don't have to bring it up later. But honestly, like, I don't know that this movie is going to have the full cultural reach or cultural impact that the Dark Knight did in 08 because it just Dark Knight just was the year the, the movie of that year. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that this movie is going to do that just specifically because there is more like superhero output stuff now, but, um, I think despite that, I-, I would say that in terms of a Batman movie, this rivals that is like the, in, in, I would even say maybe this is my favorite Batman movie of all time. I argue that, and this is just, again, this is just our opinion and, but this might actually be the best batman movie of the live action batman movies like yeah and i'm including the dark knight i'm including like you know batman 89 like this movie was so well done like as like the script was just so well written and very like and it was just like the story they were trying to tell was just so good that i was like i was very impressed and i was very impressed by some of the uh, performances but from a lot of people like john tortoro's acting his ass off as uh carmen falcone or falcone depending on how you know if you want to pronounce or how you want to pronounce it depending on the uh chris nolan movie or they do how they pronounce it in this movie they pronounce it both ways in all of them and but it's uh, really funny because like i talked to a lot of friends and a lot of like you know some people are asking they're like yeah what are you taking the mood on the movie and i'll be like dude this might be the best like batman movie i've seen and mm-hmm. a bunch of people are like oh because word is that it's just a solid movie or that's like it's kind of mid and i'm just like well your mid is a huge <laughs> <laughs> like, like i don't know like that's the other thing is like of course everyone has the, their own opinions i'm going to i'm actually going to re-watch this movie so uh, my opinion is probably going to change by the end of the weekend as it did, you know, because I watched it yesterday. So the, a lot mm-hmm. of this is going to be based on my initial reaction to the film. But I can say early, like early reactions, um, I got the the world they build in Gotham and in mm-hmm. the Batman and Matt Reeves, the Batman, like it's just so good and it feels fleshed out. And it's like, it, it's so, it, it's, it's almost like Gotham as a city is its own character. And I absolutely love that. Kind of like yeah. uh, referencing how, um, you know, we were, you were talking about Spider-Man, how you were going to probably mention No Way Home at some point in this movie review. 
very much like in a Sam Raimi-esque uh, way how New York was a living character within like the mm-hmm. Spider-Man movie. That's very much like the feeling Gotham has without right. like the cheesiness of, because I'm going to say it, Without the cheesiness that Chris Nolan put in with some of the side characters. Yeah, you know, I'm good. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, anyway, I was excited for this movie. I did. I did watch the advanced screening Tuesday night. It was like $30 a ticket to do this. And then like the, Jesus it, 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 the tickets went on sale sometime in early February and it sold out in like nearly an hour or something like that. I so. heard AMC also, not AMC like the channel, but AMC theater is like also yes. has been the doing tickets like are more expensive. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tell fans right now before we get into it, you know, if you somehow made it this far into the, into the podcast, like go ahead buy support local theaters. Those are the, as things are opening back up because the pandemic is kind of like you know at least slowing down a little bit like yeah it's your local theaters that are going to need the most support of all so go local ahead theaters or matinees because yesterday i did a matinee showing and uh it was a cinemark theater and it was like seven dollars or something yeah oh yeah so, yeah. yeah and then and i think and i think some theaters do like reduce rates on tuesdays as well so mm-hmm. if you're gonna wait until next week to watch it tuesday's probably the day and uh before 6 p.m like specifically is when you want to buy your tickets yeah while well, all those dumb kids are at school just calling <laughs> or be unemployed like me but yes the, the so the tickets were there were 30 dollars. we went to the, it was in imax so we watched it in imax uh, they gave us a comic book along with the movie, uh, along with like you know the ticket and and really what the comic book is is it's a really nice the Batman cover that's got mm-hmm. uh, you know like drawings from the movie, but it's actually the first issue of Batman: A Long Halloween. Oh, nice! Yeah, which you know it puts you right in the mood to where this movie is gonna be. And uh, yep, so so I got so excited about it that I used it as an excuse to to you know to to show everybody on social media that 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 I was going to get into it and I was watching this movie and yeah I think we effectively reached uh, Dark Knight levels of hype I think for me like for watching one of these movies which I didn't think we were going to get there honestly and uh, yeah I feel like the Dark Knight. Talk I feel like this. the Dark Knight level of hype for you literally happened over the course of a week, and that is crazy to me. Like, <laughs> no, it happened over a couple months. It, it, really? It, yeah. It, I, I feel like you've been pretty tame about it up until the last week, and then all of a sudden came the frothing at the mouth. Well, I was, I was, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, uh, like ah, like Batman, right. like podcasts, like specifically, you know, like stuff Do like, we Batman. like Batman. <laughs> well no specifically like batman on film which is like one of the first podcasts i ever listened to when i started listening to podcasts like Sounds about the, right. how how old it is is like i was listening to this around the time dark knight rises was coming out or like between dark knight and dark knight rises like this is like older internet older like you know when i first started listening to podcasts like right out of high school <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of deal um and and you know they it's just the stuff i listened to that like really started getting me hyped and and i started watching more of the clips of these guys going doing their talk show circuits and stuff like that and mm-hmm. and watching interviews with robert pattinson and realizing just how much he he like actually does understand the comics and mm-hmm. you know i i never had a problem with his casting like i just don't like 
I didn't know what to think of it, but I wasn't like feeling any way about it because we've yeah. seen this enough times with like people being cast in a Batman movies where it's like, calm down, like don't act up <laughs> until you see what the movie's yeah. like. Yeah. Like, honestly, it's one of those things where a lot of people are mad. It's the Twilight dude. And it's like, okay, first of all, the guy's gone on to do a bunch of serious roles since mm-hmm. Twilight. Like, he's grown and matured, and he's actually become a much better actor, too. <laughs> but it was one of those things where it's like, also, you got to think about the story they're trying to tell. They're not trying to tell old man Batman, like, bat- because that's the thing. Like, my hype for this movie kind of got extinguished after I found out it wasn't going to be Batfleck, because I, I, I was a huge proponent of Batfleck. Mm. I love the idea, because I was like, oh, this is going to be Dark Knight Returns. It's going to be great. It's old man Batman, just tired, but still going out there, still, like, fighting criminals, doing all kinds of goofy Batman cool shit, and it's going to be, it's going to be rad. And I, and so, that, when that kind of happened and ben affleck was no longer leading the projects he was no longer going to star in the film uh, that's kind of what killed the hype for me but then after mm. watching the movie like it's one of those things where the the movie they're trying to tell about in the batman is about a young inexperienced crime fighter someone that is still kind of learning how to do this and you even see his like you see bruce's arc is actually really good um you know over the three hour course of <laughs> this film but it's cool because you you actually do get to see how he he uh matures going from this like going to this almost kind of kind of like this rorschach-esque character kind of like bordering on that in the beginning of the film to finally kind of like understanding the nuances and understanding why certain people and <laughs> like be turned to a life of crime so it's cool because you do get to see kind of that 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 arc of the character and it's a completely different type you know it's a slimmer dude he's got more of a boxer than a bodybuilder physique he's like you know like it it's one of those things where you know like if you were if you're willing to give it a shot you'll be pleasantly surprised especially since this isn't like you know bruce wayne is like the hardest part to nail but i kind of like that in this movie robert pattinson went the way of just being like batman and batman and bruce are pretty much the same person except the one is just a very extreme version of the other batman well bruce is batman like like yeah and and it's like at this in this movie they what they did was he hasn't even developed the persona yet like he's obviously he's he's someone who's who's like you know spent so much time trying to do something that he hasn't quite figured out what he wants to do yet and uh it's basically caused him to not just shut himself out from the world but basically it's turned alfred into the guy who basically has to be bruce wayne because bruce wayne doesn't do anything other than be batman in this (laughs) and i love that like they made him a reclusive weirdo and it like worked with what they were doing for the rest of the movie so you know that's the other thing to keep in mind is this isn't a batman that has it together this isn't a batman that's already adopting orphans and creating child soldiers (laughs) (laughs) this is a batman that is probably should be in therapy like honestly who is coping with a lot of fucking drama who does who wants to take it out by wearing a bat ears and beating the shit out of poor people all right so So i guess we could go ahead and get into this the movie like and i'm we we're not going to go through the entire plot of this movie like beat by beat because we'll be here for five hours if we do that but 
but you know, like I'll just we'll, we can isolate a few things that just I kind of isolate like the beginning. Really? Yes, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly where I wanted to start because good place to start is usually the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, because all right, I'm a huge fan of Batman: The Long Halloween. That is the comic mm-hmm. that they gave us before we started this movie. That is the thing Matt Reeves referenced the most in the lead up to this movie. Literally, and, Jeff Loeb's probably best. Yeah. series that he's written and it's not like it's something that hasn't been done before there are lots of elements of long halloween that exist in the dark night as well mm-hmm. and one of the things i love the most about that book is it illustrates the time like the the time in batman's career where the power structure in gotham changes from like the mob being like what has all the power and it's basically like the rise of the rogues gallery and what long halloween does and what this movie kind of does and man it's it's i think one of the problems with superhero movies and and the oversaturation of them are just the amount of time you have to spend on origin stories and i think much like spider-man when we talk about like no way home i feel like we've seen enough reboots of spider-man and batman at this point that we don't need to do the origin story anymore let us never return to the origin story again like we know enough about it and i think what I appreciate about both Tom Holland's Spider-Man and like Robert Pattinson's Batman is that they were both introduced in movies as things that already existed. And we didn't mm-hmm. have to go to the very beginning. And we know enough about these characters already that we can fit right into the world that they've created. And um, yeah, without having to focus and bog us down with more origin story talk, they can just focus completely on the world that's being like built. Yes. And much and- like, and much like for Batman himself, like, in long halloween all the rogues basically exist already as well like they're mm-hmm. already their personas and the only person the only person who is an origin story for is two-face but everybody else already exists in that story mm-hmm. and i think the other comic that i think this this like references as well in some ways and i think it's an underrated one and i would say it's almost as good as long halloween dark victory which is the sequel comic to that Mm-hmm. And Dark Victory like takes all the stuff. It's a continuation of Long Halloween. Continues the Batman hunting a serial killer thing, and it even introduces Robin. So it like mm-hmm. if you read that comic, it probably gives you a a feel for how they could introduce a Robin in a world like this if they needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, okay. So beginning of this movie, we get the like the red letters across the black background. And then instantly we are like in the in in a someone's POV shot. You're watching a rich family through a window, and if you don't really know what to expect, which you know I couldn't tell at first, you think you might be watching someone stalking the Waynes, right? Because it's originally like a, that's what I thought it was, yeah. and then I'm like, no, I'm like that. This feels like more serial killery. And it's like if it was the Waynes, the Waynes unfortunately was just like a happenstance, or depending on the story, because even that gets called into question by the end of this movie. But um, but yeah, like it, it is one of those things where you do feel like it could be the Waynes, but then immediately I'm like, no, this is too serial killery. Like, yeah, like this this is someone hunting and like looking for going through some sort of ritualistic. Uh, behavior before they go and hurt somebody 
Well, in some ways, I thought that this could be like, you know, them redoing the the Wayne murder, like just a reboot of it where it's not like a guy that gets shot in the alley and it's like something like this. But instantly you find out that it's not you're you're in the home of the mayor. His name is Don Mitchell. And, uh, you know, hey, Matt, the guy who does the uh, who's a director of photography for this for this movie did uh this 2010 matt reeves movie let me in which was the american remake of let the right one in mm-hmm. and that oh, yeah, movie we still need to do that by the way. a wonderfully dark movie like the, the mm-hmm. photography in that movie is so good and when i found out that that was the same guy it made plenty of sense specifically in this scene God, because yeah. <laughs> we get oh. like the there was there, okay in both showings that i went to there were kids in the theater and 100 100 parents do not bring your kids to this, <laughs> this you are gonna give movie. them nightmares because it's like there's so many horror techniques used in this and they you know like in the lead up to this movie i heard they're like oh yeah well matt reeves said this is kind of a horror movie but i'm like you know is it really kind of a horror movie or is it no, just it's... like one jump scare like the dark knight was and in some ways they're using a lot of horror techniques in this uh they because do. they create eeriness over they use um what's the term it's like eeriness over terror Mm-hmm. and it's more like they the, the, what this movie does a good job is putting you on edge right from the beginning and that's exactly what happens. yes <laughs> and so you're always so it, put, it makes you prep like prepared for the jump scare and it's worse because sometimes the jump scare just never comes mm-hmm. and okay so so you get like while this guy's watching tv riddler sneaks up on him like you see riddler in the background you see oh, him God. attack this guy and... I love the way they do it because it's like Don Mitchell's like watching TV in the shadows and it's like the only light source is the TV and as soon as he moves you just see the, the Riddler's been there the whole time. Yes. And right off the bat, let's talk about his look. Total yes. Zodiac killer. Total yeah. Zodiac killer. Yeah. If, if we had any, and I think I mentioned this a long time ago, I posted this on the Instagram page when I saw the first trailer and I saw the the owl, you know, uh, card i was like yeah this is something that comes straight out of zodiac killer and if we wanted and in case we wanted it confirmed at all there's even going to be a scene in this where where he's gonna open up like a a live stream by saying this is the riddler speaking Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh awesome okay because you and i you and i in this podcast have talked you know about how zodiac is one of our favorite movies of all time and a lot of this movie takes takes ideas from both seven and zodiac and like marries them together Mm-hmm. along with there's so much that this does and the fact that they've given matt reeves nearly three hours to do it has been really the most impressive part because a he's translating stuff from uh from comic book right onto film in a way where you know so much of this movie is batman and gordon like mm-hmm. walking through like you know dark parking lots or at crime scenes or on rooftops and there's so much of this that's them talking with each other and they feel like partners in this, like more than ever. And Jeffrey Wright is absolutely fantastic as commissioner, as Lieutenant Gordon in this. Um, the other thing that they're doing is they're introducing a serial killer and, and basically rebooting a, uh, a, a DC villain 
and I'm a huge fan of the Riddler. Like I, my favorite Riddler maybe to this point still is the Batman, the animated series, like version of it mm-hmm. by John Glover. Cause I feel like he's very like menacing and they've kept all the hallmarks of the Riddler character. He's a guy who likes puzzles. He's a guy who likes being smarter than Batman. He's mm-hmm. not physically imposing. And what makes him more imposing is his brain really like his intelligence and they keep mm-hmm. all of those elements of the Riddler in this. And this is it. This is, I think, the definitive Riddler movie that we'll get if at Dark, this point. Yeah, if Dark Knight was the definitive Joker, like, aside from, you know, the Joker, yeah. <laughs> like, this is the definitive the Riddler, unfortunately. Hey, thanks, Jim Carrey. We appreciate you trying back in the 90s. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you can't really top this one. This one was terrifying. No. It like, kind of reminded me of, like, before Dark Knight Rises came out, like, well, after that movie had come out, I think four or five years later, mm-hmm. it did come out that that before, uh, before Chris Nolan had officially decided what he wanted to do for his third Batman movie, that Warner Brothers really wanted him to do a Riddler movie with Leo DiCaprio's The Riddler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think, and it's just like, yeah, it's like we could have gotten our Riddler movie, but now I finally have my Riddler movie. So here we are. For the freaks. <laughs> oh, man. So Riddler Hive <laughs> is here. <laughs> The Riddle Gang is here. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> so, Matt, uh, I was about to say Matt Riddle, the wrestler. <laughs> so the Riddler takes like uh, this weird kind of like I don't know what to call it. it Looked like a hammer, cleaver thing. No, it's it the- is a it is it is a like it's a device that you use to like uh, to lift carpet. Yeah, that's what you later find out it is. It's like a tool used. I to kind like... of knew what that was the whole time, and I don't know why I knew that, but I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like your dad takes you to go work hard labor, and he's like, "This is the one specific tool you're gonna remember your whole life." <laughs> and yeah, so he takes that and starts beating, uh, beating the mayor pretty much about the head, mm-hmm. uh, knocking him unconscious, and then he ends up taking like duct tape and like saran wraps and duct tapes his head mm-hmm. and ends up scribing i think he this is where he writes the no more lies message on on the mayor right mm-hmm. and then uh this cuts to uh halloween night yes. in in gotham where we get kind of a rorschach war journal voiceover from bruce where he talks about how you know he's become more nocturnal because of you know his his duties as batman and he talks about how he can't be everywhere at once but that because he's because of working with uh gordon having the bat signal like he's learned to weaponize fear and that just the threat that he may be around is what uh keeps criminals in check but he also fears that what he does isn't enough for gotham because he notes that there is like street level crime and petty crime violent crimes have gone up since he started 
but the impression he, I got from this is that all he does is petty crime and violent crime, which yeah, which like, I think is in in a modern sense. Like I feel like there's been a lot of like people have rethought what they think about Batman specifically because mm-hmm. it's a you know it's like now we're, we're we're all well aware that we're just watching a rich guy like beat up like more <laughs> desperate poor people. <laughs> we're much more socially conscious of that of that, but it seems like you're right. Like that's what Batman chose to focus on was poor people doing petty crimes to get by and and honestly like that's his failure like it's it's where he's talking about two years of nights and how he doesn't feel like anything is getting better and it's probably not getting any better because what he's doing is beating up low-level criminals and he's not actually like looking at you know the head of the snake or Mm -hmm. where all of this stuff is coming from and really what this movie is is his ascension from like being a guy who basically like appears in dark corners to beat up like low level criminals and how he thinks to the Riddler, like specifically calling him out, he will ascend to, to, to pretty much a much greater level. He becomes the protector of Gotham. Like legitimately, he starts going after organized crime and he starts going after pretty much the corruption that has turned Gotham into what it is because Gotham here is pretty much Gotham from the Joker. If you haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Like this, if there's anything, like, I think one of the things we talked about is when we did our Joker review is I wonder what Batman in this world would look like. And honestly, I think this is what, this is the Batman that you would get in that joke that in the world of that Joker movie. A hundred percent. Because it's like Gotham at this point has no social safety nets for its like underprivileged population um like we said crime is rampant corruption is rampant there's like no services available for people um much like in the joker how you know you see how um how joker is no longer you know he the the program he's a part of ends up losing funding and he loses a social worker and is no longer able to get his meds like this is very much the 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 similar type of gotham even though the way it looks because you still see the same type of cars um driving around like the taxi cabs and the police uh the police cruisers look very similar like that old 80s 90s look of like the old crown vicks Yes, along with like the very modern car that Jim Gordon drives along mm-hmm. with the fact that you know that people aren't not everyone is specifically using a cell phone, but cell phones exist in this world. Uh, the Riddler is literally live streaming on Twitch, basically. Um, it's weird because it's like Gotham has this weird timeless feel where it can take place. Yes. It feels like it can take place now, but then it's like there's so much stuff that reminds you of like the 80s. <laughs> it, it feels like this is this is the movie that kind of finally brings us back to what Chris Nolan wanted to do with Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. You know, like how we talked about Batman Begins has such a different like look to the other two because the other two, they go more for like a elevated reality. It basically just becomes like Pittsburgh and Chicago for the next movies. And you're and you're in real cities and it feels more Michael Mann. And mm-hmm. it's like this is just no, it's like this is this is a crafted city that, uh, you know, it feels like they've shot it in New York. They shot in Glasgow. They shot in London. They shot mm-hmm. in Chicago again. So it's like they, there's. Like big metropolitan areas (laughs) that all inspired what gotham looks like in the comics but they have like certain areas that you'll like come back to over and over again like the waterfront where penguins iceberg lounge club is Mm -hmm. which is straight out of the comics 
and then we also get this like it looks like Times Square, but it has like a million more screens in it. <laughs> so it's For like real. Um, and then there's like other parts where it's like when you're going to the mayor's funeral, there's like police on horseback, which is also just like very. It felt Batman '89 to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just yeah, it's it's this awesome like timeless quality to it. Um, but at the same time, it's also very what I like about this as well is there's no Lucius Fox here. There's yeah. no witty banter between Bruce and Lucius and Bruce and uh, and Gordon and Bruce and Alfred. It's just it's a much like grimmer nihilistic world <laughs> where, you know, Bruce has to do so much of it, everything by himself to the mm. point where like his his outfit is basically like a soldier's outfit like his utility it's, like he's got like he's got like pockets and like leg pockets and and his utility belt you see stuff like hanging off his utility belt like it's it's, it's more very functional cool yeah. yeah like it's a tactical look but it is functional and it does kind of play into the whole like this is a fresh new guy he's not mm. even using like wayne industries um like research to kind of like help find him new technology or anything like that Mm -hmm. like this is literally it feels like he goes to an army surplus grabs a bunch of stuff and is like i'm batman now like and the other thing too is like he hasn't even like unlike as for as good as batman begins is you know we have to suspend disbelief to see him basically become a ninja and use ninja techniques to become batman he feels so much more fully formed and kind of infallible in batman begins than he does here mm-hmm. and it's like here it's he hasn't even learned how to quote unquote disappear yet like you know like he, part of what scares people so much is is the really good use of shadow in this mm-hmm. so or like when people now like see the bat signal up there you get all these criminals kind of like cut to these dark corners where you can't see anything and it's like and it hangs on those shots long enough like a horror movie that you think something's just going to like fly out of the darkness and um and then it finally when we do get the subway scene you get that Shit. clown gang that like that that wants to assault a guy coming off a train mm-hmm. you hear like eventually when batman does show up boots. yes and my <laughs> wife my wife could not get over like the way he walks in this movie mm-hmm. and i keep explaining it to her dude it's because he's wearing these heavy military boots like that's why he walks like this and it bothered her so much <laughs> that i that's... haven't been that the second time that i watched it i could not stop looking at the way he walked now i'm gonna point now i'm gonna have to watch <laughs> it and look at the way he walks because honestly to me it was just because he's a small guy it's just a small guy in big heavy boots and so but it but that's what i do love about the sound design here because it's like that scene specifically you're talking about where he saves the dude coming off the train he like like everyone just hears the boom 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 and he just like slowly methodically walks up and just immediately starts beating the shit out of all of them literally it was literally like he's the t-rex from jurassic park that's <laughs> what it was yeah <laughs> that's, that's such a stupid but true comparison and it's funny because he gets shot i think of all the batman movies i've ever seen this is the most i've seen batman get shots so it's like literally his suit is just a shit ton of Kevlar. <laughs> but he ends up saving this guy uh, from the from this gang of quote unquote jokers. 
um he ends up beating a bunch of them one uh one of the guys like out of fear tries to save batman from getting shot by one of the one of the uh other gang members um and after the that guy ends up fleeing and everyone else just kind of recovering from their broken bones and bodily trauma (laughs) the other guy uh the guy that he ends up saving is actually terrified of batman saying that he doesn't want to get hurt um it's at that point batman realizes the uh bat signals up in the air so uh he jets over to the next crime scene which happens to be uh at the home of mayor mitchell this is where we see kind of his interactions with uh gcpd so it's really interesting because the first thing I noted is as soon as he's on, um, he's at the crime scene, he doesn't touch anything. He, he's working with the police. He's there. It feels like he's almost there as like an advisor role. Like he's just there kind of pointing out where evidence is. Like there's the scene where there's like blood spatter that you can tell was around something and he puts his boot near it for one of the forensic guys to take a picture of it and then he walks away so that they can take the picture because he can't actually um he can't actually get involved because he's not a part of the like he's not a a law enforcement officer right Mm -hmm. and it's really interesting because this is the first movie i've seen that also addresses that like i remember i talked to joey friend of the show way back when about that like what you know would a vigilante who finds evidence would that be admissible in court? (laughs) And he says no because of a legal principle called, uh, oh my God, fruit from a rotten tree or something like that. Where if it's any... uh, Oh, right. Joey does work. He does work in the legal system. Yeah, exactly. He works (laughs) in criminal justice. (laughs) So he pointed out that how, you know, if uh, officers were to get any evidence that was found from a a vigilante or something that wasn't done from police work um that it wouldn't be admissible in in court so pretty much anyone that batman would leave for the cops to to capture and to arrest would have been done so illegally and technically there would be no case to arrest them because of that and that's why i think dark knight i think yeah i think the dark knight fixes that by having an open investigation uh, on the Batman so that any evidence that is found because it's one of those things if it's inve- if it's evidence found for another case while trying to investigate something else it can be considered admissible um, so it's one of those weird things like it's a it's a loophole that I think the Dark Knight works on but it was really interesting to see it play out in this movie because at one point one of the officers even says yo what about chain of evidence how am i supposed to let this guy touch it (laughs) so i thought that was really interesting but you know as they go through this is where they find out that one of the uh that the killer the riddler end up severing uh mayor mitchell's thumb Mm -hmm. uh and kept it pot and they're assuming as a kind of a souvenir yes which is common you know in Mm -hmm. serial killer cases like when they kill someone they are known to take a trophy and uh once we finally find out what that is so you know bruce takes the cipher he takes it to his bat cave which is basically an old abandoned train station under wayne tower um there he like you find out that he like wears basically like cameras on his on his like his contact lens so he yeah. takes off his contact lens and he's able to like this is like rewatch. the most 
absolutely yeah, this... everything he's gone through the night before. <laughs> yeah, because that doesn't make you go insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but... He writes a lot in journals. So it's like, you know, he ha- he basically like writes a report on every single night that he goes through. Um, and, you know, I'm telling so... you, he borders on Rorschach and I really like that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but you know, he, when, once I guess he and Alfred both go through the cipher together, Alfred discovers that the cipher really is only partially, like he can only partially decipher it. And basically it spells out the letter drive. I mean, the word drive, that's where they end up in the garage, looking at the mayor's cars and they find out that the, you know, uh, Batman specifically is looking for a USB drive. And when he finds a USB drive, he finds the mayor's thumb, like chained to it. And that's where it's so Riddler because it's like, and I think I listened to a podcast where they talked about it. Like one of the things about the sixties, like Batman series is that every single time that there was like, you know, that they would deal with the Riddler, there was some sort of like bizarre, like pun (laughs) situation Mm -hmm. in it. And it just like, this felt like it actually incorporated some of that sixties Batman humor. And even like Gordon, once he sees like the thumb that the thumb actually is like, the thumbprint is is what unlocks the drive even he goes oh this guy's hilarious he's like disgusted and annoyed <laughs> yeah. like the only proper way to respond to puns honestly <laughs> like even like what was the riddle it's like what does a liar do even after he's dead and like i think the 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 answer was he lies still and he i was like still. oh i was like fuck you that's good the riddler yeah the riddles are corny and that's kind of like it's a thing where it's like if if it's not executed correctly or if the character itself is not executed correctly, it kills your interest in the movie. But because it's like it, it's essentially the bonus. Like so first what he does, that's actually threatening is he's murdering people mm-hmm. and uh, no one can find out who he is. And the ciphers throw you off because they're so hard to like, you know, they're, they're very hard to, to, to decipher like on site like it's going to take you time to go through these things we did zodiac and we and we yeah. showed like how long it took for like you know the, the go back chron- to listen and listen to our zodiac to see yeah. how a random couple from salinas california was actually able to crack the zodiac cipher yeah. because they do the exact same thing in this movie where they try to follow uh letter combinations and uh, try to follow double letters and that's actually how alfred's able to make a breakthrough yeah so in this one, Alfred is the old couple that like is able to decipher the letters, but they, so yeah, they, it's, they do that. And then on top of that, you get classic Riddler corny ass riddles and it all fits so well and basically creates a really good uh, villain. Another villain in this that we get introduced. And one of the things, again, I, this is the best Gotham city ever because it feels like a real city full of people. Mm-hmm. and you know hey we're gonna get two two already announced uh hbo max series coming out of this movie and one of them is going to revolve around the gotham city police department which i think this is it Javi. this is finally going to be the gotham central series that i think you yeah. and i both like wanted and then you know we thought gotham might be that series and then eventually gotham like devolved into something completely different mm-hmm. when you were dealing with teenage bruce wayne I think, and I honestly, I think that this Gotham Central series is probably going to revolve around 
I think the officer's name is Martinez, who is like the guy who the mustache cop that we like see over and over again. Like <gasps> I loved him. Gordon. Yes, I, I, I honestly think that that's going to be our star of the Gotham series. I hope uh, so, because he definitely stood out in this movie and yeah. <laughs> just some good old fashioned police work. I am down for it. <laughs> oh, you know what else, too? Before I get well, the other series is going to revolve around someone we're about to talk about. But before that. The other thing I really want to appreciate about this movie, hey, we talk about diversity in film all the time, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it becomes such a sticking point for a lot of people. But this is, but diversity in film is great, and and I think it, it what it is part of what makes it feel so modern. You know, mm-hmm. for all the good of Christopher Nolan's movies, they are overwhelmingly white <laughs> and yeah. filled with white people to the point where even Bane was recast as a white guy, mm-hmm. and. Um, this what i appreciate about it is it is it feels more like the world we live in because it feels like you know non-white people are starting to rise to positions of power where maybe normally they weren't in before and uh like catwoman makes direct reference to you know hey privileged white assholes and um Gordon, obviously, you know, it, 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 Jeffrey White, Jeffrey Wright is is a black man. So now we have a black commissioner, Gordon, as well. Um, and the plot of the movie, we have this uh, mayoral candidate, uh, Bella Real, who is, you know, the very it, it, it kind of reminded me of the Stacey Abrams, like governor campaign from a few years ago mm-hmm. uh, in, in Georgia. And it's like, yeah, it's like this is it. Like we are now in this world where it feels a lot like our world because everything like people are losing such faith in institutions. And now like we're starting to see like different people starting to rise to more of these prominent positions and we are nowhere near there yet. And let me not get too political about it, but we are not probably where we are nowhere near where we should be. But I do like that the change that the face of politics is slowly changing. And I like that it's reflected in this movie as well. And I think diversity, like, in this cast feels great because mm-hmm. it's it's it, like these characters like fit it, it, they there's a precedent for it and it helps ground it in the world that we live in and even the police officer martinez is a hispanic police officer it is nice to see a bunch of different people represented on this film is what i mean mm-hmm. um the next no, one the yeah. next XBO Max series that's going to be uh, created is going to be revolving around colin farrell's the penguin uh, Oswald Cobblepot in this movie who I think I think a lot of the comedy comes from him in this movie and he's he, good he's he so good, good. <laughs> like supporting actor like he was fantastic I, <laughs> like I'm, I have a soft spot for Colin Farrell ever since I watched in Bruges like years ago but he like nailed it because I was like, how is this going to work having him as the penguin? And it's like the way they played him is just this old, like, just like this very, um, oh my God, why am I blanking on my cousin Vinny? Um, the actor, the the actor. You mean Joe Pesci? Thank you. She, <laughs> why did I forget Joe Pesci's name? They play him as a Joe Pesci-esque like mobster and Colin Farrell like yeah. knocked it out. Of He's the park. essentially like a capo for, for Carmine Falcone. Mm-hmm. And they make a lot of reference in this to Sal Moroni, who for those who don't know from the comic books, Sal Moroni is Carmine Falcone's like basically like they are both competing against each other. Uh, Maroney is the one who will famously in most comics 
uh, he throws the acid in Harvey Dent's face and mm-hmm. turns Harvey Dent into Two Face. Which, hey, the district attorney is murdered by the Riddler in this movie, so we may, I'm sure, get at some point soon get another Harvey Dent in this. Um, Sal Marley's never shown in this movie. It's just there's just this like overarching story of the fact that he's been busted like in some sort of historic like drug bust where I guess there's a there's a drug in uh in Gotham called drop yeah like, and it's, it's like, like it's essentially crack in the 80s right like it's like yeah. they, they're like oh yeah well these people are drop heads these are all drop this and, like it is just like this really like I guess addictive like drug that's like devastated like you know the world and I think you know hey Batman Begins tried to go the depression route and I mean, three years later, we did get the Great Recession and it didn't mm-hmm. feel like something from such a world from long ago. But the fact that this Batman is going to kind of go into something that's more, more, I guess, feels more contemporary, like the crack epidemic, which is something that like we're still feeling the effects of today, like adults, like who were born as children during this time, like, you know, and, and all the war on drugs stuff, like it, it does feel more contemporary in many ways but Moroni is basically the guy who got busted mm-hmm. and um let Falcone kind of take control of everything going yes. on um so that so as of right now Falcone is like the guy running the criminal underworld of um pretty much of Gotham yes uh, which is like we- long Halloween except he's not featured in this movie as much as he is in that comic mm-hmm. but I do I do like it um, again, there's there's scenes in this where uh, Batman goes to see the Penguin at the Iceberg Lounge, and there's Whoa, no but, umbrellas, like you know, there's no monocle oh, no, or no. umbrella. Like, well, before that, I did want to mention something that leads Batman to go to uh, the Iceberg Lounge, and that's uh, going back to the thumb drive. Is that they actually find pictures of the mayor who had been mm-hmm. running on this like kind of like family values yeah. type <laughs> of campaign kind of be you know being shown to be entering and exiting the uh the iceberg lounge with a beautiful uh blonde woman and in some of those pictures uh looks like she definitely got beat and you're left to assume that it came from the mayor and the funny or the the wild thing that happens is that uh the thumb drive was encrypted with like a virus that immediately sent out all these pictures two media outlets through jim gordon's um like email <laughs> like his uh his like gcpd email so it's like he's outing the mayor at this point after his death um we don't really meet, see much backlash from that later but that's pretty much what takes us to the next scene where angel was talking about it gives batman that lead to go to the iceberg lounge where he does meet um where he we get introduced to uh, both the penguin and to Selena Kyle as well. Yeah. And like you and like you mentioned, no gimmicks. He's not wearing a tuxedo. He's not wearing the top hat. He doesn't have the cigar in his mouth, which apparently Colin Farrell tried to fight for. Was <laughs> for the penguin to at least keep his cigar. Mm-hmm. He just looks like a mafioso type that runs this uh, this nightclub. Yeah. Um. And what but is it, it with like? 
Batman movies and fights in nightclubs now. <laughs> I'm well, all for it. I really do like it. And I think, the, again, we are in, like, he doesn't really sneak up on everybody or he doesn't crash through the skylight. He knocks on the door and, <laughs> and beats guys up at the door. And basically, it's like, yes, you see this guy in full costume, like, just walking through this nightclub <laughs> until he gets there. <laughs> but, it's, but it's just, it's cool. It feels like something out of the comics mm-hmm. where it's like, let me go investigate something. I'm going to go here. This is where the penguin is. I'm going to go talk to the penguin. And there's a lot of long Halloween that's like that, where it's like Batman goes in to talk to Calendar Man. Batman goes in to talk to uh, Riddler. Like there, there, there's a lot of that, like it, it's sitting in dark rooms, which is very, which long Halloween gets it because it, it, it has like a million, it's replete with references to the Godfather. Mm-hmm. And even this movie has a Godfather reference in it. When when Bruce finally goes to see Carmine Falcone, the song that's like playing in the background mm-hmm. is the song that uh, Johnny Fontaine like plays at uh, Connie Corleone's wedding in The Godfather. <laughs> like that oh, is so gotcha, so gotcha. it's it's this movie encompasses so much. Like it knows what it's what it's doing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So after that. Um... After Batman confronts the Penguin, uh, he follows uh, Selina after uh, noticing that she's like in uh, some of the pictures that uh, the mayor's girlfriend, Aniko, was in. Mm-hmm. And she finds out that they're actually roommates um, and enlists Selina to kind of get some more information um, at the Iceberg Lounge, where she reveals there is a second level of the nightclub called the 44 Below, which is pretty much where your vips your city officials that's mm-hmm. where the mayor the da um the who else was it it was the chief of police um or the police commissioner mm-hmm. was seen entering there and essentially this place is protected all by off-duty cops so using the uh contact lens camera that batman uses on his nightly kind of escapades uh, he gives it to Selena in this moment where you think Batman was like trying to seduce her or like charm her or something. <laughs> yeah. To which uh, he's just like, "Okay, you look good, fine." And then he's like, "Go on, you got this, champ." <laughs> so he sends her in where she uh, goes and she starts chatting up the the Gotham District Attorney and starts finding out that apparently there is a rat that kind of made the made a case for them and that that's how all these people are all connected now mm-hmm. pretty much all the higher ups between of um of all these gotham institutions are all connected to each other uh through this quote-unquote rat and as selena tries to find out more information as to what happened to anika this is where we get introduced to john Turturro, who's playing carmine falcone all right, so we've done a John Tunturo performance before. He was in Do the Right Thing. That's and, right. Uh, as like one of the sons at the pizza shop. And I thought he was really good in that movie, except like he's, so, he, you know, and, and I know he's in The Big Lebowski and stuff like that. Like he, it, it's very rare that he plays he such a menacing character. He doesn't I, get many serious roles. And I think it's because he does have kind of a goofy look to him. He usually plays like this fast talking goof character. Um, but I haven't this kept, one. Uh, but I haven't kept up with this television stuff, which I understand is more serious um so so i wouldn't mm. say i've i've said i haven't seen much of like him outside of this but mm-hmm. I, i'm sure other people have 
And um, yeah, oh, I, and, and the funny thing too is yeah. <laughs> seriously, because, okay, we've seen Falcone before we had Tom Wilkinson do it in Batman Begins and it was mm-hmm. in, supremely underwhelming in that movie. Like he felt like such a cartoon character and it's weird that we live in a world now where like Chris Nolan Batman stuff like feels like cartoon, but it does. Mm. It was so bad. And you, when I read Long Halloween, like I think of a guy who does feel like, you know, Vito Corleone, like he feels like a guy that everyone respects, everyone is afraid of. And mm. John Turturro is able to portray that in this without without doing Marlon Brando. Like he's not doing mm-hmm. Marlon Brando in this. He he's doing Al Pacino with Michael in this mm-hmm. <laughs> as someone who you don't want to cross, and you know he'll be furious at you, but he doesn't have to yell at you. Like there's so much yeah. of the Godfather that out. It's pre screaming Pacino, so it's like <laughs> so a lot of it is just him like looking at people and saying, "Don't ever take sides against the family again." And it's like, and he has that kind of like personality. Yeah, it's very like I'll yell at, I'll like whisper at you in public because I'm if I yell at you, it looks like I'm not in control, sort of thing. Like Falcone is very much character that's completely in control at all times, whether it's of his demeanor or the situation. And Torturo hits that perfectly. Yeah, um, uh, but, Zoe Kravitz is awesome as Catwoman oh, in this movie. A hundred percent. This is the best Catwoman we've ever seen on film, hands down. And Hathaway. And Hathaway was it's you know, I like Oh, Kurt I was gonna say Halle Berry. No, I liked Anne Hathaway in Dark Knight Rises. Okay for that movie, but this felt like a lot more like comic book catwoman. It's just I, the outfit was weird for Anne Hathaway. Like she had like sunglasses, like these weird sunglasses that turned into cat ears, and and it's just I don't know, it's just so it felt dumb. it felt too not something that you could believe in. And Dude. what I like about this is that this feels a lot more like comic book Catwoman. Uh, her and Batman, like, they incidentally meet because both of them are basically intersecting on a case. And that's how they start working together. I like the new the Catwoman portrayals in anti-hero as opposed to, like, you know, some of the more the villainous villain. stuff that yeah. used to be, like, the old comics. And I feel like now it's, like, it's more widely accepted that she's an anti-hero now. Yeah, because I mean, one of the big things that come up with Catwoman nowadays is that she's she's still a burglar, like she's still a thief, but she robs from like criminals. Like she she doesn't really get fun from like especially now. There's no fun or no no sport in robbing regular people or just like institutions. Mm-hmm. It's more robbing other criminals for her, and that's why she works. Uh, with Batman so closely, that's why she was such a big part of Batman Inc. and the well, in the comics. Um, she also, I think, she also teaches this Batman a lot about oh, about about you know like what his because his views are like you know just how negative he is on people. Like he's not afraid to if he thinks a cop was dirty or if he thinks someone was involved in something corrupt. Yeah, I got no problem with them dying. Hey they made their choice right it's mm-hmm. very it's very white republican of him to, to just be like oh well this person made this choice and you know so what am i gonna do about it that's you know and and she really is like kind of serving as a compass for him like She's pointing like, him in a direction to have more have more sympathy uh, for more empathy for people yes yeah. And it's like, and she's, she's softening him up because he feels like, obviously, the more isolated he's been these last few years, it's what makes him such a harsh, angry, 
Batman all the time. And hmm, it's like social and physical isolation <laughs> can push people to a certain breaking point where they do extreme things unless someone comes along and helps them. <laughs> it's almost like that's one of the things this movie's trying to tell us without actually having gary oldman give you a fucking speech at the end of the movie about it dude just like dark knight this movie points a mirror at the world that we're living in but does it in 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 less of a ham-fisted way than dark knight did it even though like some of the some of the parallels are obvious there are obvious parallels in this but it doesn't it, it doesn't feel as in your face as it did in dark knight a hundred percent like just like it's the little nuanced stuff like where where batman like is in the mayor's house and then he kind of lingers off and stares at something for a little bit and then pulls away and you're like what was he looking at and then you look at the screen or you look at when he's reviewing the video you see it's that he saw the the mayor's son just kind of coping with loss and you're just like oh because he's still traumatized and this case is making him relive his trauma of losing his parents you know or just like the like the little interactions he has with Catwoman where she does like where you know where they do talk about that even by the end of the movie where he points you know he he tells her that you know he doesn't stop her from killing because it's wrong he stops her from killing because it's like you've already like what was it that he says something like something to the effect of like you've already paid enough you shouldn't have to pay anymore Mm -hmm. because of him and it's like oh crap like he gets it (laughs) he understands what she's going through he's he's learning it as the movie's going Mm -hmm. so after uh after the interaction at the nightclub um selena ends up taking the uh i the the contact off and um and kind of like leaving Batman alone. I think. Um, well, we, we can we can kind of jump forward. Uh, as oh, this no, this scene is the ends, part. this is where we find out the, the police commissioner was murdered. And that he was like murdered in some bizarre like saw trap. Yeah. <laughs> where he like live streams like a rat like eating his face off or something like that. Yeah. So it's like as they find out that the commissioner was killed uh the district attorney attorney colson gets kidnapped by um i was about to say about the zodiac by, <laughs> by riddler mm-hmm. who ends up like beating him in the back of the head as they like they're in the back of his truck mm-hmm. and then he just like starts beating him with the with the same thing the carpet tool again and ends up kidnapping him and then this um, movie makes you really scared for people when they're standing alone on street corners oh yeah <laughs> like it's like either you either you feel nervous for the criminals that are standing on street corners because like you they're know gonna get because heavy boots harm. yeah heavy boots batman is gonna come like beat the living shit out of them <laughs> or <laughs> if you're getting inside like your own house in the dark like riddler will sneak up behind you or in your car he'll sneak up behind you and that heavy breathing will like He'll just Michael Myers strangle you in the back. So I I didn't have a fear of that until now. So thanks. (laughs) But but yeah, so the next day, um, as Bruce Wayne, uh, Bruce, he goes and he uh, goes, attends the mayor's funeral where he kind of like starts taking notes of like the big, like the people that kind of show up. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big Bruce Wayne moment too, because Alfred like mentions, "Oh, you're actually going to go out in the world now." Mm-hmm. So it's like it serves a dual purpose. He's not doing it because he wants to put Bruce Wayne out there. He's doing it because he knows the killer's going to be there to try to admire his handiwork in some way. And um, I do love that that he, unlike other movies where the Bruce Wayne stuff is like, I don't have to pay attention to this. This isn't as important. Or like, Dark Knight the, Rises, where he's basically Bruce Wayne for ninety percent of the movie, and there's only two Batman scenes. <laughs> this movie, I feel just as invested and interested whenever he is Bruce Wayne because it does kind of because again, Bruce and Batman are the same person. It's all about working the case, and he knows he can get there. There's case, there's certain instances in this movie where he knows he can get more as Bruce Wayne than he can as Batman. All right, and this one but, of those instances. Yeah, but and then also let's. I one thing I'd like to mention the bat suit in this. I I thought it was cool. I thought it was okay. I like how it looks in trailers and stuff like that. I appreciate the like. I wasn't sure how I felt about the mask the, mm-hmm. that that he's been wearing. It feels a little sixties Batman to me. Mm-hmm. But I think the reason why this outfit, specifically the mask works, is you spend so much time looking at Robert Pattinson in the costume in this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's weird. Like, I started noticing things like one of his eyes, like, opens wider than the others. And then there's, like, lots of scenes where he looks like he's on the verge of tears or, like, he's, like, his lip is quivering. And it's so weird to, like, see, like, him in a costume, like, displaying so many emotions. And I think it, it works was. because he's not, like, the bottom half of his mouth isn't so constricted as Christian Bale's was. It, it lets him emote a lot better. And I do like that. Because this is an emo Batman. <laughs> he fucking listens to Black Parade and My Chemical Romance and all that, all that jazz. <laughs> but um but yeah i actually do and uh, what i also do like that this movie does is that he has a transition suit when he isn't like when he's on patrol where he just wears baggy clothes over the bat suit and a big backpack yeah (laughs) while he rides around gotham on his motorcycle which i thought was a cool thing because yeah i mean it makes sense like he has to change into something to be able to the you know fight crime (laughs) like he can't just be like hmm oh there goes batman speeding away on this motorcycle who could possibly (laughs) and he's going towards wayne tower those two can't possibly be the same person (laughs) but um but yeah year one it is super batman year one yeah 100 percent. and i absolutely love this funeral scene because you get to see like you know, like the the whole reason Bruce even approaches Falcone in this in this scene is because he assumes it's Selena Kyle that's with him, and he thinks like they're in a relationship together. And it's like as he gets close, um, uh, Penguin kind of like stops him, and like the rest of the goons try to like you know try to like do something to check him. And then Bruce has like that awkward interaction where he sees Falcone, and they like you know where Bruce tells him, oh, it's weird to see you out in, out in the open. He goes, um, and he goes, why? I forget what exactly Falcone says, but Bruce, like, implies that it's because someone would take a shot at him the way they did when... Uh, yes. The, and you, know, you find out that he's there because, obviously, he had a relationship with the mayor that's been installed because he's had a relationship with all the mayors that have been installed. Mm-hmm. And then in this one, we actually get him talking to Oswald, and as he talks to the Penguin, he basically tells the story of i don't i don't know that this was in long halloween i think it was in dark victory the scene where uh where carmine's father 
brings Carmine, like who had just been shot into into uh, Thomas Wayne's house mm-hmm. and had him operate him on the table. Like it's obviously because I've read those comic books. Like I, the story is fresh in my head when I'm watching. It's a it. long Halloween. Okay, so so yeah, and, so it's it's so it's a long Halloween thing. I think it's the Father's Day chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and yeah, it's like so he tells the story here. Yeah, just like in Long Halloween, this Carmine Falcone um was, you know, owes a debt to the Waynes or feels like he owes a debt to the Waynes because mm-hmm. Thomas like ended up, you know, patching him up on on the dining room table while oh. Bruce was watching. And then the other one is that they kind of that they take from long Halloween, but they make it explicit. Whereas long Halloween, dark victory and Catwoman went in Rome only imply it. They tell this, uh, the, that, uh, Selena Kyle's father is Carmine, that she is mm-hmm. one of the Falcone kids. Yeah. in this one, that's what it was, was like Falcone kind of tries to tell him what, um, you know, he tries to tell him, Oh yeah, your dad saved me. Uh, what do you think that meant? And then Bruce just responds saying, Oh, it means he, you know, took a Hippocratic oath, and then Falcone laughs at it, and it's just like Hippocratic oath, and then he just walks in, um, which you know later kind of makes sense why he laughs about it. <laughs> but I love this scene because specifically for the one part where Bruce like is walking next to kind of like the general public, and he starts hearing kind of like what the general, um, like the general public kind of thinks of the the elite right and it's like the he's again he's been so detached from everything going on in gotham um that he doesn't know what people think of him or or anyone else that's going on or or anything else that's going on in the city so you have that part where like the guy just talks about how uh all the social safety nets have been taken away and he lost his job and has no health care to pay for his like his family's like medications and stuff and you can tell like bruce he like that kind of bothers him like it affects him and then he and then the other guy's saying yeah all these dirty politicians just lining their pockets again and it's like right after he says that the next mayor candidate like calls bruce over and it's like they have that awkward eye contact this dude and bruce where bruce is just like i'm one of those people you're talking about and he kind of has to, to swallow the bitter pill that, yeah, he is fucking up compared to what his family was doing. Um, and at this point, um, oh, I forget what her name is. Rayal? Rayal's, what, what was her first name? The mayoral candidate? Yeah, the mayoral candidate. I think her first name is Bella and her last name is Rayal. Yeah, so Bella. That's what, Which that's is like the pun, which is why like her, the Real Rayal beauty. change. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like it's it's the pun in there. Yeah, so Bella Royale ends up kind of shaming. <laughs> like she shames Bruce into like not undeserved. Catwoman no, shamed him several times, and the mayor shames him several times. And I love it because it is like the whole. It's the great power, great responsibility without saying it. Right? It's like you have the means. It's what we joke about all the time that every day Jeff Bezos doesn't end world hunger is another war crime against humanity. <laughs> but we joke but it's also kind of true it's like the same thing bruce wayne anytime he doesn't help or any day he doesn't help um you know gotham get back on its feet it's because you know it's it's probably a crime you know 
So I, she, and I kind of get why Bruce Wayne would detest being Bruce Wayne so much. <laughs> I know, given, like no given the areas Batman. of the world that he has to live in, and specifically when we really get to know the Riddler more. Um, okay, so during the funeral, we get a car that comes crashing through the church, and uh, Bruce has to like save uh, Mitchell's son from getting run over by this car. Mm-hmm. You find out that Colson is the guy, the district attorney. He's the guy who gets out of the car. Um, and there's another to the Batman letter that's attached to him. There's a bomb attached to him. There's a ringing phone attached to him. And then, you know, we cut, obviously Bruce Wayne is watching, but we cut to several hours later because it's dark now, um, Mm -hmm. to where they've brought in like a bomb robot (laughs) to come and try to, you know, deactivate whatever bomb is attached to him. And then we get like Batman, like showing up in person to try to work, through you know how to get colson out of uh the trap that he's in and this what kicks off the live stream you were talking about where riddler live streams to everybody what's going on and he has like a a riddle game show where if colson can figure out the three riddles beforehand uh before the bomb goes off he'll give him the code to get get the uh bomb necklace off so the first thing he asks um i forget what it was but essentially the answer is i think like a uh something about a rat right i forget what it is <laughs> yeah it's, it's we don't have to go through what the riddles are but they, they, they but go through the riddles and they do um, one riddle and then they try to f- and then the riddler tries to fo- like force uh colson to agree how much it costs to buy him mm-hmm. and he says depends on the crime and then finally um the final riddle is to try to reveal who the rat is Right, because there's apparently an informant that gave up Sal Maroni and got him arrested. And much of the mystery of the next hour, I think, is going to revolve around who the rat is. And, uh, you know, Colson is scared enough that he doesn't want to reveal that information. And the timer just basically runs to zero. The he explosion, prefers to die. Yeah. The explosion goes off. And uh, you before, know, yeah, before we go into the next scene. Because I think the next scene's really cool too. But the what I love about this movie and what they do really, which was really smart, is they don't focus on the Riddler and they don't make the mystery about who the Riddler is. Because the thing is, if you read the comics, the Riddler is a, an inconsequential character named Edward Nigma. And that is like he's not a character he's that that like that's the part that doesn't matter because i like the riddler is just a stand-in for literally what the riddler went through he's a stand-in for anyone that kind of got screwed over by corruption or 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 like the the failure of the of the system in place that's well in this movie his name is edward nashton which is yeah which which it's it's the it's the modern comic uh name that they've given him so in modern in more recent comics they've basically said that nashton is his real name and he ends up adopting the moniker enigma as like a pun you know Mm -hmm. at when he becomes a supervillain later so enigma yeah yeah but the, the the point is that you know, I love that they don't focus on Nashton being the Riddler and they don't focus on the character himself. They focus more on the motivation and they then shift the mystery onto who the rat is. Yeah. Well, because to them, I that. to them, they figured they'll find the identity of the Riddler once they've solved what the crime is. And I think even Batman makes a point at some point where he looks at Gordon and he says, he's like, look, it's his game now. 
Mm-hmm. So what we have to do is find the rat. They're like and, the Riddler. We're just he's just going to do what he's going to do, and we've got to find the guys he's looking for. And I think that was pr- probably the best thing Matt Reeves and the writing team could have done, because yeah, it wouldn't have mattered. Like it, re- the Riddler is very inconsequential to the overall. Like the 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 identity of the Riddler is inconsequential. It's more about the mystery at hand and kind of like the conspiracy that's going on in Gotham that matters. And I thought that was very well done. So Batman ends up getting picked up by the cops. Uh, they take him back to GCPD where a bunch of officers are like debating whether they are going to remove his mask and find out who he is. I Batman do like wait- that like Gordon refers to Batman as like chief or like, you know, like like he never calls him Batman. It's just like it's always nicknames. Yeah. yeah, it's like he- these nicknames, which is funny to me. Yeah, because it's like you also don't like it doesn't want to acknowledge how silly it is that he's working with a guy in a Halloween costume. <laughs> so he doesn't want to like give him quote unquote power in my book. Like that's kind of how I read that. But um, like he doesn't want to see him as like this larger than life character. Uh, so, you know, as the officers try to remove his mask, uh, Bruce wakes up or Batman wakes up and ends up like fighting off a bunch of the cops. Yes, <laughs> and like this is this Batman's a little bit more anti-police than other Batmans that we've known as well. Which I was I all kind for of, it. Yeah, I, again, it is modern. This is the one for our times now, and I think the fact that he is so suspicious of these institutions makes sense. If Gotham's really supposed to be the most corrupt city in the world, then why would you trust the institutions? You know, and, and they do the other way that they do this in this movie that's really impressive is the movies there is a mayoral race that's kind of on the peripheral of this movie but it never takes center stage there's no like harvey dent becoming district attorney moment or anything like that it's 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 an election that's happening bella real is winning batman you don't know what side he's on he does probably doesn't even have a side you know, and it's just like she will become the mayor eventually because her candidate's going to be murdered by the because the, her, uh, you know, their candidate she's running against is going to be murdered by the Riddler. But it's like he doesn't take a like he doesn't take a stance on either one of them. And I think his thing is like, well, it doesn't matter who really gets elected. It's still going to be much of the same thing anyway, unless we figure out what's happening here. Until yeah, it's like until the the Gotham and its core is fixed, it's going to be the same problem is going to repeat itself. So, um, yeah, so Batman, zero problems. Like, he starts calling out cops here, or, like, in the scene, starts saying, like, we don't even know who, which one of you is, like, even who's clean and who's dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, implying even that the commissioner could probably be, uh, is probably even in question. I think it's pretty clear he is once he's mm-hmm. murdered by the Riddler. Um, well, or, it- I mean, the acting commissioner after Savage gets killed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so Lieutenant, you know, uh, well, they call him Lieutenant, but, but Gordon pretty much gets in between like this mob of cops that wants to like beat on Batman and <laughs> yeah. Batman. And so he he believes Batman. He believes that the, he doesn't know who to trust with the GCPD. Uh, Batman tells him that. Uh, I'm very the, curious to know, and I know that this movie won't get into it, but I really am curious to know like how they met, like how Batman and Gordon in this world, like, 
become friends because yes they don't fully trust each other and i think there's moments where like gordon says i've been working with you for two years and i still don't know who you are like i'm curious to see like how that relationship started and i hope that at some point we do kind of find out at least a little bit of how it i started. feel like i feel like gcpd or gotham metro would go into it because yeah. if gotham metro is like the whole like we talked about it where gotham metro is like the cops handpicked by um yeah by gordon because it's like not only the, that they're the only ones that can handle meta crime but they're also the only ones that he trusts and got in like the gcpd yeah so i'm sure they'll we'll see uh some gordon there we might get some backstory there too um, um the scene where they you know they do get the rest of the cops out and gordon and batman are just like angrily whispering at each other <laughs> to try to <laughs> take everyone off the set like or he just quietly like whispers to him i gotta get you out of here here's this so you can get up on the roof and uh you know once you get there blah 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 and one of the things i really like about this i know at some point i don't know if it was pattinson or, or reeves or some but somebody said that there was like kind of a hitchcock like you know the hitchcock was was one of the influences for this and a lot of people were like well i didn't really see a lot of hitchcock in this i didn't really see a lot of hitchcock in terms of like how the movie was and stuff like that mm-hmm. but the music specifically yes. in this scene like it's just like it's just strings and like nothing else besides strings it sounded like parts of psycho there's a lot of psycho that's that's uh that's people in rooms like you know packing things up into a suitcase and Mm -hmm. while that's happening you just hear this like violin score and like in the background like as it's happening you know and and that's kind of what i got here it just sounded very psycho to me and it (laughs) happens more than once like i i i hear you because i noticed that too there was a lot of times where the tension was literally just two people talking but it gets ramped up because of that score like they did a fantastic job with the sound design in this film um and i mean i could see it like there are some part specifically in this scene right so it's like of course like the way they shoot batman like um firing the the grappling hook and you know going up the 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 staircase Mm kind of like focusing on the height was you know really cool i love the way they shot that um the one scene i wasn't crazy about was when he switches to the flying squirrel suit you know (laughs) i like this because i'm cool with the very year one yeah I'm cool with the flying squirrel suit. I have no problem with that. <laughs> the the choice. Suit. <laughs> I'm gonna keep calling it that. <laughs> but the choice to like shoot the shoot the focus on Rob Pattinson's face as he's flying through <laughs> was very. It was um, a choice, and they was... and they cut to and they cut to it twice. But you know what? The people in both the showings that I was in were so into it that like nobody nobody at least at that point thought of it as absurd lives like absurd as it felt to me when i was looking at it <laughs> yeah it looks really goofy luckily it happens really fast it's like one of the few speed bumps this movie hits like as far as cinematography goes i was like that's a weird shot to focus on. yeah but then they do like the actual thing where it's like yes this is a real life so his his cape turns into the squirrel suit and then to make sure that he lands as safely as possible he actually has a parachute that like pops out Except like you know, it hits like a overpass, and he actually ends up just getting thrown on the sidewalk. Which is another thing, like you know, obviously this is a young Bruce Wayne, and it's like you know he is he's young, so maybe he can sustain like all the punishment that he's taking. But he takes mm. a lot of punishment in this movie, and he does in year one oh, too. I, 
like year one that first time when he shows up in the costume and he's like beating up like the criminals on the uh on the fire escape mm-hmm. you know and like he's like has to hold one of them up while the other one's like beating the shit out of him and then after the fight is over like he's just sitting on the fire escape like just tired almost, and almost in passed pain. out and tired yeah there's <laughs> yeah. so much of this where it's like you just see like Pattinson like grimacing like <laughs> as he moves because he's probably just in immense amounts of pain what was it I remember in the Dark Knight Returns there's this one panel that's dedicated to just Batman talking about all the painkillers he that are secretly in his uh in his uh utility belt and that that's the part that people don't know is how pa- how much pain he's constantly in <laughs> So he has like smelling salts and like painkillers to just like numb the pain and to keep awake and shit like that. And I'm 100% like convinced that that's the type of like utility belt that uh, that um, Pattinson has. And as we see, that's later in the movie. That is actually not too far off. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, it's so after the uh, the collarbone and all that happens, um, yeah. So uh, Batman and Gordon finally meet up. Gordon uh, calls out Batman in a joking manner, saying Batman could have pulled his punch. To which Batman responds, uh, "I did." So after that, um, they they try to find out, kind of trying to trying to trying to use one of the ciphers again. They they find out about. Um, you know the the spanish word uh, rata alada which means winged rat um immediately i thought bat but uh, they assumed stool pigeon and because of the penguin they assume that uh the penguin is actually the um the the informant they're looking for so batman and gordon end up um kind of crashing a a um kind of a, a drug sale that uh that the penguin is kind of washing over however everything gets kind of gets thrown to thrown to all hell because catwoman uh ends up showing up and selena ends up uh stealing the money they were going to use to buy the drugs buy the drop um when in that moment she ends up finding the like Annika's body in the trunk of one of the cars uh and Batman is able to you know try to get to her he ends up getting shot which leads to a shootout between um between Gordon and the and uh Penguin's thugs Penguin's manages to escape from the drop but here uh you know batman kind of disappears and like all the craziness and then suddenly you hear an engine roar to life and you see this um and you just see like these high beams turn on and it's like this jet engine takes off and we finally get to see like the new batmobile which is essentially a mega souped up camaro yes it's and like it is... Vin Diesel's Batmobile. <laughs> <laughs> it looks, it reminds me so much of the Art Deco style of the Batmobile from uh, Batman the Animated Series, where it's just like 
this long like linear car like oh. very boxy okay it reminded me of 66 batmobile really i can see that i mean <laughs> yeah. i can see both you know like again this is this is a movie that doesn't run away from even the goofier aspects of the character mm-hmm. and uh yeah this batmobile super feels like 60s batmobile except it doesn't have the really cool like red outlines so they pulled away completely from the tank Batmobile, which we saw in uh, Nolan's movies and even like the, the Batfleck movies. So we've gone back to him just using normal cars and he ends up jetting after. Essentially, he's driving the the stuntman Mike deathproof car. <laughs> As we see, he starts like crashing through like concrete barriers with no damage to the car. Uh, we don't see any gadgets, if I remember correctly. No, there's no gadgets in this car. But he leads, uh, but Penguin leads him on a car chase. Really cool, very well shot car chase. Reminded me very much of like, um, I think it was Bullet. I want to say it was the Steve McQueen movie Bullet that had more like of the car perspective shots, which was really cool. Um, Penguin ends up forcing a giant crash on the, on the, um, on the highway that causes like an oil tanker to explode yes. so many people there was so much collateral damage in this car chase yes. so many people that should have died yes there was it was interesting to see a car chase being done in like such heavy traffic too to be honest because normally like in these movies it's like you see like parts of gotham city and it's clearly sets and it's clearly like places where like Batman is the only person driving and there's no other cars really in the way. Mm-hmm. This, I think a lot of the tension in this movie comes from the fact they're just weaving through like all this like oncoming traffic yep. while they're it's, moving. And it's like, that, it's, in it's the super simple. Rain. Yeah, it's super simple compared to like something in Dark Knight where it's like, you know, there's no flipping a semi over and all of this. There's nothing that spectacular or grand, mm-hmm. but it's still really good and it still feels very street level. And it's well, like, that's the thing about this movie is that everything does feel very street level, even though there is a tanker explosion with the Batmobile driving through it. Oh, uh, it's that was cool. That was I loved it because Colin Farrell sold it so well too. He's just like screaming in the rear view, saying, "I got you! I finally got you, you bastard!" And then you just see the Batmobile come flying out of the fireball and just lands, and he's just like, "Jesus Christ! What do I got to do?" <laughs> yeah. Um, the awesome part is that once this is over, he does get captured. And when he gets captured by Batman, he just gets handcuffed. And it's just like Gordon and Batman berating him, like <laughs> asking, asking him if he's like the rat. And then like, it's funny to just hear like Penguin and, like insult both of them, like about how terrible their Spanish is because the fact that is that it's L instead of La, which is like, you know, what it would be if you're, if you're not talking about specifically a person or if you're just saying the word like winged mm-hmm. rat. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's, it, it, it's i did it i did find it interesting that they found like you know that they thought it was pigeon or stool pigeon and then they went with that for so far and then it's like yeah it's like when you hear that it's like you think that's batman right mm-hmm. and then they're like oh well it could be a penguin because it's like a winged rat i was like well is it a penguin is it this is it that and stuff like i mean obviously that was obvious but <laughs> i know that that's like i was like oh that's a little weird and it's weird because rata alada becomes such a like focal point of the movie for the rest of like the next like hour or so <laughs> um but yeah so penguin ends uh I-, I love that part he definitely choke peshes it up where he just like calls them idiots finishing each other's sentences <laughs> 
<laughs> but I do like that part. I loved seeing Gordon and Batman like just kind of lay out all the facts and then finally like it was just a really well done scene. The three of them just absolutely chewed up some scenery. <laughs> um but at that point uh you know they they find out that uh Penguin isn't actually the informant and that um they end up following the Riddler's trail to try to find out more about uh about kind of like the Bruce's or, or Bruce right because I think it's at this point where we start um we start getting to like the orphanage scene and kind of like the 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 sins of the father being uh begotten to the sins of the son or fall on the on the son or something to that effect but mm-hmm. here is um where they start oh it was um crap what was the what was the word they used what was the name of the fund again uh the renewal renewal i think that's what it was how renewal was a lie was like one of the big things so they Mm -hmm. try to like follow the they try to follow the 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 paperwork on the renewal the renewal fund uh, which then leads them to to the shutting down of gotham orphanage so when they get to the gotham orphanage which um, like looks like a set right out of the arkham video games yes it looks so (laughs) creepy and eerie um when they get there as they start going they run into you know as you mentioned before the drop heads uh people that have been addicted to drop uh they get to like this main room where the riddler has like a projector set up with various riddles and various ciphers but essentially he plays this clip talking about how uh there was a um there was this investigative reporter who back in like the early aughts yes was... dude we are now in a world where like 20 years ago it was 2001 <laughs> like, <laughs> no. like and it's funny too because even the thomas wayne like mayoral candidate video it looked like those like george bush al gore like presidential mm-hmm. like like uh advertisements from 2000 straight he up looked like gavin newsom to me like <laughs> he, <laughs> he had true. that look. yeah yeah newsom was like early you know 2000s well, well yeah that's when he would have been running for like mayor of san francisco and correct stuff. but um but yeah he just has that kind of like square jaw like handsome dude look uh thomas wayne that is yeah. <laughs> but essentially yeah you're right it's like further putting this in its time it's like there's an investigative reporter investigating someone in their 2000s election run for a uh, mayor of uh, i was about to say san francisco of <laughs> 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 city and uh, essentially this reporter found out about how martha wayne had uh originally was martha arkham which came from uh, one of the founding families of Gotham being the Waynes and the Arkhams. Mm -hmm. So Arkhams had a history of mental illness within the family where uh, Martha's mother ended up killing uh, Martha's father and ended up committing suicide. And that Martha grew up having a lot of um, issues and she had to be institutionalized as a result. So the the film the riddler puts out essentially deposits the idea that uh thomas wayne willingly went to uh carmine falcone and had him kill the reporter uh who was digging up secrets about uh the wayne family Mm -hmm. 
as a way to protect his mayoral bid um, and so that he can still win his election. So this is the first time we see Batman do the uh, Batman escape where <laughs> he just disappears in the in completely silent. And he finds out that Bruce Wayne is the next target of, um, well, is the next Riddler target. Mm-hmm. So as he rushes back to Wayne Tower, he calls and calls and tries to tell Alfred. Intercut in this moment, we see scenes of Alfred finding a package that was labeled to Wayne um, and also a card saying for the Batman. And we, we find out is that it's actually an explosive device that Alfred realizes a little bit too late. He manages to throw it. And as the bomb goes off, um, Batman, uh, Batman finally gets through and Bruce talks to, uh, I forget what the lady's name was, but she's essentially like also another like caretaker of the, of the home. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says that uh, it's already happened, that the explosion took place an hour ago while uh, Bruce was investigating the orphanage. Uh, So Bruce ends up uh, spending time at, um, you know, with Alfred. And this is kind of like his moment where like Batman, this is that moment where does Batman break, you know? Like Mm -hmm. Riddler finally got to Bruce. um, And from this point on, you're left to assume that the Riddler might know Bruce is Batman. Like it's the only it's the only thing that made sense for me at the time uh, upon first watch was I'm like the Riddler must have figured out that they're one and the same and that's why you know he would like he was um and you know there's the there's the the card that um Alfred opens it says see you in hell so you're left to assume that the reason why he put that is because he knows Batman and uh, Bruce are the same person yes um so riddler uh he leaks all this evidence um and essentially alfred confirms it like bruce ends up spending time uh in the hospital and at the moment alfred wakes up bruce confronts him this this relationship between uh bruce and and alfred they feel like completely at odds it's not there was this like warm paternal relationship that michael kane and and christian bale had that is nowhere to be found here and even the even even batman and and uh and alfred from justice league and and batman v superman they felt like partners and they really cared about each other and stuff like that Mm -hmm. this is this is yeah this is they're very cold towards each other and almost like bruce resents him when all he's doing is trying to be like you know the best family figure he can to him (laughs) yeah so there you know after that we have a scene where uh batman confronts selena after you know they have a discussion about how you know, he should be working with her to kind of, like, rip off all, like, the 1% of Gotham, right? And then um, he presses her over her relationship with uh, Falcone because up till now he thinks that she's, like, one of the side chicks that he has. Uh, and in, like, an angry way, she, she, she just flat out tells him, like, Falcone's my dad and confirms what you, you said that I think in the long Halloween it's hinted she's one of the Falcone kids. Yep. Um, here she confirms it. And 
that uh, here is where she vows to kill Falcone herself. And that storyline is huge in Batman Year One. Um, and even, if I remember correctly, even in um, in The Long Halloween, because I think it's... Is it The Long Halloween or Year One where Catwoman scratches uh, and like gives uh, Falcone the, the scars on his face? That's in Year One, because by the time Batman Long Halloween starts, Falcone already has the scratch on his face. Okay. So, from there, she takes off... And kind of assuming the 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 role of one of the girls at the iceberg lounge, she she sneaks her way to the forty four below. Which during this time, the uh, Batman and Gordon rush over to the iceberg lounge to also attack um, Falcone or try to try to stop us, uh, try to stop Catwoman from um, killing Falcone. So Batman sneaks in dressed in his big man suit <laughs> and he goes and he cuts the power to the cl- nightclub right before uh, Selena's able to kill Falcone and he goes and uh, tries to tries to back her up as she fights off Falcone and his goons in the office. An absolutely excellent sequence and I think... I don't know if we like explicitly talked about it, but there's like, I feel like there's three different uh, climaxes in this movie. Like each act that like this movie is breaking up to broken up into has its own like kind of big action scene. The first one was the Penguin Batman car chase, and then the second one now, which we've seen some of the trailers, but we didn't realize the context that we were seeing it in, is the you know, Batman walking through a dark hallway while being, like, shot shot up with machine guns. And, like, every time the light flashes, he's, like, knocking down, like, mafia thugs. I love the way they play. Like, we talked about it before. I love the way they play with light and shadows in this movie. Because it's one of those things where the lighting just sets the tone. And it sets the mood for the movie so good. Like, I love this hallway scene. You got Batman just walking down, kicking the shit out of thugs. But every muzzle flash, you get like another frame of what's going on, a frame of context. And the entire time, he's just fighting. Um, it's so good. It's so well done. And this is what I was telling you. This is this Batman. I think has been shot more than any other Batman I've ever seen on screen. Yes, <laughs> it, it, and being someone who is no longer a twenty-something, which is what this Batman is supposed to be, um, I. I I'm too old to be watching this because all I'm thinking about is how much pain he's going to be in later in his life. <laughs> nah, man, you just ignore the pain and do a bunch of pizza. <laughs> like, so he finally uh, breaks into Falcone's like main office. He's able to save. Um, he's able to save. Uh, he's able to save um, Catwoman. And she then, you know, grabs the gun, threatens to kill Falcone. And, of course, this, you know, this is the moment we talked about, or I was talking about earlier, where Bruce, or Batman, sorry, where Batman, like, has, you know, shows empathy for Catwoman and everything she's been through and tells her that she's already paid enough, that there's no reason for her to continue to pay due to Falcone. So he convinces Mm -hmm. her to put the gun away. 
And we get a perp walk where Batman takes uh, Falcone to uh, Gordon. Uh, Falcone jokes that doesn't Gordon know that he owns GCPD mm-hmm. and that the cops work for him. To which Gordon responds, not all of them. And as he opens the doors to the Iceberg Lounge, we see an entire, like, easily dozens of, like, three dozen cops, <laughs> all guns trained on the entrance of the lounge, uh, ready to take Falcone in. Among them being the officer that wanted to keep Batman out of the crime scene in the beginning, Officer Martinez. And then, like, you know, later it seems to be he's coming around to this method that Jim Gordon is using to catch the Riddler. (laughs) Um, Yeah, what I was going to say is, so this leads us to one of the riddles about bringing the rat to the light. And the entire time you're thinking that this is about you know revealing the truth of who is the rat right and that that was the whole point of 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 the film up until now and as falcone starts they start walking him over towards one of the um as they start walking him over towards one of the uh patrol cars a, a gunshot rings out and falcone shot dead and everyone starts panicking and starts looking for where the shooter is. And Batman realizes that Falcone was shot dead under the, 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 the streetlight. Because he was literally brought out to the light. And as he looks around, he realizes that there was a sniper in one of the, in one of the windows. So it was one of those punny, like... Riddles. Riddles, where yeah. he literally meant that Batman was to bring the rat to the light... So that Riddler can take his shot and kill him. Yes. The rat being <laughs> Falcone, which obviously we talked about, like, you know, how to consolidate his power in Gotham. He ratted out Maroni, got Maroni sent up the river for it, and becomes, like, the one true, you know, all-powerful crime boss in Gotham. And the funny thing is, in this scene where he gets shot by the Riddler, I swear I thought it was Penguin that shot him for a second. And then when he's, like, yelling that it wasn't him... That's when you see the across the street shot and it was actually Riddler who apparently has been basically living outside of the iceberg lounge (laughs) and they go up to his apartment. His apartment is filled with all sorts of like, uh, you know, his manifestos and, you know, torture devices. It's very Ted Kaczynski. It's like now it's a very like, I wouldn't. I would describe it as Zodiac Killer, but also because of the manifestos and because of um, kind of like some of the rhetoric that he also puts out, it very much reminds me of the Unabomber, where it is very anti-establishment, you know, at the same time. And also to get a little meta with this, unfortunately, you know, it, it's one of the things associated with Batman movies and, and really something that was on my mind the whole time that I watched this in a movie theater was the theater shooting that happened with the Dark Knight Rises movie. Like, the guy who was responsible for that, like, had an apartment, like, rigged with booby traps and stuff. And it's like, and I hate that that that's what I was thinking about, but that's what I was thinking about. And that's part of, like, yeah, and that's part of, like, the, where this really does feel like the world that we live in, sadly. Like, moment. (laughs) At that point, they get a tip from a witness who 
uh, says that she saw someone escape from the apartment through the back and that that person is now waiting at the like a corner diner uh, near where the apartment is. And we get that awesome scene of Batman, Gordon, and the rest of GCPD rushing this place. Well, Batman's outside. He doesn't actually go into the diner, but Gordon does. And you have this tiny, diminutive, meek man played by Paul Dano, who's literally just sitting there drinking his coffee, and when Gordon confronts him, he says, I did order a pie. And one of the officers just slams his face first into the the counter as uh, as they book him. This was a seven moment for me. Like, you know, for for those who've seen seven, and I think even now, seven's even more horrifying because we all know that Kevin Spacey was a monster monster. in real life. (laughs) Yeah. Like, because of that, it's like all you needed this Riddler to do was literally put his hands up, look at Batman, and yell, Detective! (laughs) And it would have felt like something straight out of seven to me. You know what's funny is a couple (laughs) things I'll, I'll point out. Paul Dano has a very Jeffrey Dahmer look in this movie with the glasses and like the bowl cut blonde hair. He has a fantastic voice too. He does. Like his voice is there was certain parts of the movie where it's like you know they modulated some of it, but then like also when you see him, it's like he's able to like lower the like the tone of his voice like in a way that feels almost inhuman. <laughs> And the other thing that reminded me, going back to the Zodiac review, I remember that you mentioned the scene where Jake Gyllenhaal confronts John Carroll Lynch in the in the store, right? And he doesn't say anything, doesn't um, doesn't confront him like physically, doesn't say, but he just like knows that uh, John Carroll Lynch was the Zodiac. And all he needs is that moment to be like, I got you, and you know it. Yeah. <laughs> That's very much the feeling I got as Batman was seeing Riddler get carried away through the window. Mm-hmm. Where it was just one of those moments where it's kind of almost like a sigh of relief. Where you're like, he finally got him. Like, yeah. he finally, like, this this monster's, like, reign of terror is finally over. But, of course, it's not. <laughs> no, but you know what? This movie does something that, like, I was not expecting. Everyone, literally everyone, expects the moment now in a lot of these supervillain pieces where you capture the villain in the middle of the movie and he sets another plan in motion and then you get the villain escape. Like Dark Knight did it. Dark Knight did the we get Batman and Joker in a room together and then, you know, find a way to have Joker break out. And this movie, like, the way they do it is that really kind of changes the formula is yes we do get the batman and riddler theme and then this is where we find out that edwards like entire motivation was that he thought batman would be on his side because you know he's trying to bring down the corruption in gotham city uh he was some sort of accountant like some sort of federal accountant i guess and a that's forensic how accountant whatever yeah. that is and that's how, like, he started down the rabbit hole of discovering all of this, like, Gotham corruption and came up with this, like, Riddler plan where, like, that's what he's going to do to get back at all the people of Gotham City. And it's just, it's a, it's a good plot. And, the you know, I'm okay with the banter that they have back and forth. It's not as good as the Heath Ledger, Christian Bale banter to me. But I, 
at least for this Batman, it's funny to see like how just not in control Robert Pattinson is in this situation. And you know, I, this is where you find out, hey, this guy knows who Bruce Wayne is. I love it because the entire time they're talking, right? You got Edward Nash talking to talking to Batman. And he's talking like he knows that Batman and Bruce Wayne are the same person. Until finally he says, that's why I, I could never get Bruce Wayne. I guess he's the one that survived. And yeah, they like, string you along they thinking do. that he got him until that moment. And then it's like from there, it's really cool how it's played out, right? And I guess to kind of explain like the plot, like the whole, like all of, all of Riddler's like motivation for it is that he was a... He was an orphan whose orphanage was shut down due to the death of Thomas Wayne because the renewal fund was lost. And what ended up happening is that because the Waynes pledged like something to the tune of like three billion dollars, it went up for grabs between all the major like power players in Gotham, including um, Falcone and Maroni, including like the the district attorney, the mayor, chief of police, and all of them. It basically becomes the legitimate non-oversight deal that washes everyone's money, and that's it's the thing that allows like the city to be in the shape that it is now. And they even do it visually, like the fact that Gordon and Batman are always meeting at the roof of this unfinished building that feels like it'll never be finished. It's like, yeah, it's because he's since money has been diverted from the funds that it's needed to, it just feels like the city is so incomplete and there's like so much stuff that should get done but never actually gets done. And um, yeah, this sets off really the final, uh, the final set piece, which I think this movie does the opposite of what Dark Knight did because I feel like Dark Knight like had its best action moment or its best like its best like climax in the middle of the movie before they capture joker and then i feel like the end of the movie before you get the gordon harvey and batman like coming back together i feel like that entire fairies and swat team stuff it feels like insane overkill and i think it's the weakest of all like the big action set set pieces in dark knight if it would have taken place like earlier in the movie before <laughs> like the joker escape it would have been okay <laughs> but um yeah i mean it is what it is and i think you know the like but the kickoff before the set piece when you have um when you have batman like like purposely like start uh getting riddler off his game by saying he's nothing and he'll never be nothing. And, you know, he finally, like, gets under his skin to the point where where Riddler starts um, freaking out freaking and... out and gives away too much of his plan. Yeah. But what I love about it is that you then get the paradigm shift where Batman was in control. And like you said, suddenly Robert Pattinson Batman is no longer in control mm-hmm. once... Um, Riddler reveals his hand that there's a second part to his plan. And the setup is so good because, like, you... How do I say it? Um, Instead, again, instead of him escaping and him trying to set one last plan into motion, the twist here is that the plan is already going to happen no matter what. Batman is too late to stop it. And... um, 
And then this becomes January 6th, the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then the other thing, too, like, while they're searching Edward Nashen's apartment, uh, Officer Martinez is on his phone watching that the election results are here. So we know now that it's election night, and Mm -hmm. it's like, it's in the background. It tells us this is election night, and Riddler, the final facet of Riddler's plan is on election night. He, and the way Batman will discover it, uh, you know, is great. Because he ends up having to go back to the apartment. Um, he uses the murder weapon tool yes. to rip up the carpet, revealing a cryptic map. Thanks to the <laughs> assistance of Officer Martinez, yep. who as a Hispanic person who apparently has relatives in his family that are carpet installers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it takes him like looking at it with Batman and letting him know that you know what that tool is used for and once batman realizes it that's when he actually you know uses it to pull the carpet off of the floor and then you see etched on the floor a map of gotham city with these little like you know christmas lights everywhere uh showing that that's where the bombs have been planted and then finally we get on to riddler's computer the most terrifying scene of the movie in my book yeah the the final like 8chan 4chan like you know stream that he's doing where he's like you know okay i'm gonna be caught tomorrow guys so you know this is you guys are gonna have to finish the rest of the plan and then you see like a bunch of comments that are in there going oh yeah hell yeah brother and Mm -hmm. and and oh rifles are gonna be good for this and it's just like yeah this is the funny thing about then this, someone said let's go brandon at one point. <laughs> well the funny thing about this the, the scary and crazy thing about this is that much like Candyman and some of these other movies that we've like covered that have come out after the pandemic like or during the pandemic like this a lot of this was written before covid mm-hmm. and it's just funny it's so funny to see that so much of our media like halloween like Candyman, like the Batman, like all of these things were really like predicting where the world was trending. <laughs> it's because people gotta remember, like when it, when we're talking about January sixth and we're talking about the radicalization of an entire base, this isn't something that happens one day to the next. Like it took people tracking, like people were tracking message boards and tracking a lot of this for months before january 6th finally happened and much like that that's kind of what's going on here is that these are people on the fringe that have maybe just felt completely isolated from the rest of society but for some reason they found a kinship they fell for ed nash's like charisma and so they bought into his story and it's one of those things where it's like when someone has no feels they have no power uh, the illusion of even having power becomes very, very um, attractive. And that's kind of what happens. He, he radicalizes these people who already have very fringe beliefs. And without making this a very political thing, they still shine light on the how terrifying radicalization can be. It does a bunch of what Nolan did without having to punch you in the face with yes it. <laughs> they didn't have to put such a such a fine point on it um and it just works so now 
we know that the real climax of this movie is, okay, Batman failed. Riddler's plan succeeded, mm. and Riddler's a successful criminal, which changes the formula to most of these movies. And the so, end game of this isn't to steal something. It's literally mass death. And because, I mean, the ending of this movie, the end game for Riddler is the assassination of the mayor, as well as a mass shooter situation at, like, the 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 main hub of um what well we might as well explain that part too <laughs> well as well as the fact that these explosions that are set off throughout the city are now setting off a mass flood <laughs> m- yeah a mass disaster which you know hey pandemic we were not fully prepared for it and i think a lot of people have learned in the pandemic that rich people politicians only care about you so much and what they really care about is money like that's kind of what this is. It's like the they're like, all right, well, we have to get as many people into the stadium as possible, and you have a bunch of people that are just waiting outside in lines, and it's just like, man, if you are in a situation in these cities where these things are happening, like it's gonna be very hard for the common person to find their way to safety because everything, no matter what it is, prioritizes a certain type of person. Mm-hmm. No matter <laughs> what, man. And uh, it's it's it really it's just an awesome scene because part of it is it's going to be an assassination attempt on the new mayor, and then the other one is the flood is uh, already occurring, and uh, you know we get the really awesome you know scene at the end where all right Gordon is now in the stadium trying to save the mayor elect. And she decides that to go out there because, you know, she needs to show a face to the people of Gotham and know that, you know, that someone has to be there to, to help calm them down. When she gets to the podium, she sees all the Riddlers up there with their rifles pointed right at her. And uh, she gets shot. Gordon, like, pulls her away from the line of fire. And uh, right as it looks, you know, right as it looks like they're just going to start shooting up everyone behind that curtain... You get a series of explosions mm-hmm. on the ceiling of this stadium, and then down comes like Batman in the really awesome, like you know, jumping off a building scene that you get in all of these movies. And it's an awesome fight scene. This is the fight scene where it's like, I, I think we talked about it with Batman versus Superman. There's that warehouse scene that feels like something straight out of an Arkham video game. Mm-hmm. Like, we are here now where this video game has now been around for so long that it's inspiring the media that's coming out. It's the warehouse fight scene in Batman vs. Superman. It is the construction site fight scene where Batman is trying to fight the Joker's henchmen and the SWAT (laughs) officers in the Dark Knight. Because that's really what happens is as he fights the Riddlers, he like attaches his grappling hook line to him so he can kick him off the off the raptors or off the off the catwalks yeah. so that they don't die like he's still like prioritizing life over like killing these guys uh but eventually gets overpowered uh because they have guns and he yes. doesn't and as he starts getting shot up um he ends up getting saved by catwoman last minute yep selena in classic catwoman fashion you know, arrives at the moment that Bruce needs her the most to rescue him. And, uh, yeah, Gordon, who's already had a relationship with this guy, is seeing this guy that's saving everyone. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's going to do what it takes to get up there and help him as well. You have, um, you know, she saves him as he's, like, holding on right before one of the Riddlers shoots him in the head. 
uh, as he's like trying to recover um, Catwoman gets attacked and is almost killed by one of the Riddlers the only reason Batman's able to save her is because we find out he has like a adrenaline syringe <laughs> yes. and he shoots himself up a la like crank or the <laughs> reference I made was when Chevy Chase shoots himself up with like two, <laughs> two <laughs> flu vaccines and calls himself a living god in community he just like injects himself and goes Rah! Rah! and he runs over and proceeds to beat the ever loving shit out of this Riddler and it's like like, the music goes, like, there's no sound, and you just, like, see him pummel this man near death until Gordon and, like, uh, like <laughs> shows up to stop him. Yeah, just he has time. to, like, physically pull him off this dude. At that point, um, you know, the they, they noticed that one of the uh, signs uh, had an exposed uh, electric wire. Mm-hmm. And was going to fall frying pretty much everyone in the water, which w- included the mayor elect and, and you know everyone else. Yes, um, and something we didn't mention, which this is the second time that he uses it, and we talk about the functional nature of his costume. The bat symbol pulls out and is a knife. He uses it to cut through the police tape at uh, at Edward's apartment. That's right. And then in this scene, like to stop the cable from just electrocuting everyone who's trying to escape in the pool of water down there. Yeah, so he electrocutes himself yes. by severing this cable, dropping this Titantron down, and as he uh, gets or this Jumbotron screen, and as he gets up. You know, they have this really... I mean, this this is as ham-fisted as the movie gets, I guess. As he pops a flare, and then as he, like, starts waving it around, people I start... I love this moment. Like, I don't think it's... That's what I'm saying. This is as ham-fisted. Yes. I put that in giant air quotes. But I love the moment where it's like Batman has gone from being this, like, dude that just goes around beating villains to actually being, like, a source of hope. Yes. To these people, so he like he he raises the the flare to get to get people to come to him. He goes. It's a, it's a Spider-Man No Way Home moment for me because yeah. I think we talked about it at the end of that movie. How he had to go through all the events of that movie and make a huge sacrifice to come out the other side and be the guy who was going to help everyone around him and become more of what we think of when we think of Spider-Man. And this is the, that kind of moment. It's like this is him going from the detective vigilante who is vengeance and beats up poor people. And it's like this is where he finds out that like maybe what the change that he wants to affect, he'll actually affect by helping lead the people out of the situation that they're in, literally in this case with the flare. Um and also, like, you know, when he reaches his hand out to people, it takes a while for, for people to even start, like, taking oh, yeah. his hand no back. No one trusts him. Like, yeah. it's, I love the scene where he, like, he he moves, he, like, physically has, mind you, he's tired, he's battered, he's been shot to hell, and he still, like, pushes, like, the debris out of the way so he can get the mare out. And the first person to take his hand is the kid, like, the the old, the, the ex-mayor's son. Yep. Who saw him at the first crime scene mm-hmm. at the beginning of the movie. And then once that kid gets saved, then other people start gathering around Batman and helping the other people 
like get pulled out of that same scaffolding trap that they were in. And then we get the scene that I saw in the trailer of this dirty Batman that's like looking up at the sky. And it's such a good scene. Like, you know, we get a closing monologue from him talking about how, you know, this I'm not having the effect that I intended. This is different now. And people are going to need hope. And you see like him carrying someone onto a gurney and them holding him and him holding their hand to kind of like comfort and alleviate them it's like yes that is the hero batman mm-hmm. and I, the- as much as i love dark knight and what chris nolan did i think they there was never any moments in that trilogy where outside of maybe the end of dark knight rises but it's just there's never been a moment between batman and a gotham citizen that has just shown you the relationship that he has with the people of the city. And I think in this one, it feels even more heroic. So it's wild that in a movie that's so dark, nihilistic, and and just grim, that this movie does what the Zack Snyder, Justice League, DCEU movies c- could never have accomplished, which was you can go darker... But somehow, at the same time, you're giving people hope at the end of this movie. Like, it's crazy because you're left to kind of assume that Batman, after getting everyone out, spends the rest of the night looking for survivors. Yes. Like, you're, you're, you're left to assume that he's kind of, like, taking on the, the, um, the, the rescue efforts of mm-hmm. trying to get people out of Gotham Square Garden. So it really does elevate him as being that kind of Batman from... I think the most empathetic Batman that has ever been has been Batman Animated Series. Mm -hmm. Because you see him actually want to help his villains and actually want to help characters and builds a relationship with the people of Gotham. Like, I always think about that um, final episode, uh, what was supposed to be the last episode of Batman Beyond, where... um, where you find out about how Batman was there to save Ace from the from the um, uh, Royal Flush Gang, and you find out she was dying, and he he volunteered to like quote unquote kill her, mm-hmm. but in fact because she was a kid, he instead stayed with her until like the the, the her powers were going to kill her anyway, so he mm-hmm. stayed with her to, so she wouldn't be afraid, and it's like that's the Batman I've always wanted to see. I want to see the one that cares about people that is still the kid you know that was left in crime alley Mm -hmm. and like you get to see that here because he cares like he still cares enough to continue to try to help people um and that takes us to this uh final talk he has with uh catwoman where she says the city's beyond saving and she says she's probably gonna go somewhere else maybe bloodhaven Mm -hmm. referencing another city that uh batman is tied to technically nightwing yeah, it's a Nightwing. But, um, Which maybe, hey, tells you maybe we will get Robin at some point here. And, um, you know, she tries to convince him to go with her, to which she realizes, oh no, I think you're taken, aren't you? Referring to him never being able to leave Gotham now. Mm-hmm. So as they write off... Um, you Very know. fast and furious, like <laughs> I remember Jose sent me the meme too, and I love that Batman has like the goofy little bat ears on his motorcycle now. <laughs> and as they ride towards uh, the exit of the of the cemetery, uh, you know, one of them goes right, 
I think Selena Kyle goes right, mm-hmm. Batman turns left towards the city, and um, as you look into, I think it was Catwoman's rear view, you can see him riding into the city, and then he, of course he checks his too and sees mm-hmm. her riding away. And that's how the movie cuts the black and ends. I think the part that we missed was it was also right before the Batman-Catwoman scene. There's a scene where uh, Riddler is in his cell at Arkham talking to another inmate next to him. Oh, my bad. (laughs) uh, Who, you know, just makes a reference to being dressed like a clown and also, uh, you know, gives Riddler a Riddler and a, a Riddler a riddle. And both of them, like, you know, have share a laugh together. And Matt Reeves has confirmed that that the actor, who I'm not very familiar with, but apparently he's someone that people know, uh, that this guy is, in fact, going to be the Joker of this universe. Um, but he has spoken that, like, specifically for Batman 2, he's very interested in doing, like, a Mr. Freeze type of story or getting into these villains that haven't been put on television, uh, on film as much as you know joker already has at this point so so eventually maybe third film we get joker that we get a nice introduction to joker here maybe before he was even joker and uh we'll see where he's at later in life which is very kind of like batman telltale about it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh yeah that that is the end of this movie and um i guess without you know getting too much further into it uh javi did you enjoy the batman even though we both already admitted that we did i know it's hard because we i think we that's how we started the episode (laughs) but yeah i mean it's one of those things where this like we've talked about it i've like digested this movie as much as i could this is like hands down top to bottom one of the better possibly best batman live action movies it's just like the sum of its parts are so good. Everything in it, whether it's the 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 horror, whether it's the horror elements, whether it's like the the psychological thriller elements, whether it's like just everything going on here. Like, there's a lot to like. Um, it's able to like blend itself into like telling three different stories at once. Whether you're talking about the the mob bot or the mob drama, whether you talk about the serial killer story, or whether you talk about just kind of um, Bruce's own personal journey, like it's just it's fantastic. Um, Robert Pattinson didn't do anything that's like, oh my god, this is the best Bruce Wayne. But I think that's also because it's a different type of Bruce Wayne. You and I have talked about it where this is like Batman and Bruce Wayne are the same person. And he's learning how to navigate those two worlds. And because of that, it gives you something different. And so, yeah, pretty much I love this movie. <laughs> I need to rewatch it to see how I still feel about it. But yeah, like as of right now, it's go out, check it out. Yeah. And having seen this movie twice before this review, I think it's excellent. I I. I will say that I think it's my favorite Batman movie ever at this point. And as I said when we started this show, I don't think... I don't know if it's going to reach the zenith or like just height of popularity that Dark Knight did. Like I said, that it was the movie of that year. But I think this is... I think the response to this is a lot of people do feel like this is the best Batman movie ever. Which is... Not too dissimilar to how I felt about the Tom Holland Spider-Man at the end of things. Like, I always thought that, hey, maybe I do think that Spider-Man 2 from 2004 is my all-time favorite. 
but you know by the end of that spider-man marvel series tom holland more than justifies the need for this to exist and also makes me appreciate that it is now like prime universe spider-man <laughs> for uh for the mcu so that's exactly how i feel about this i think that matt reeves has successfully juggled so many balls and kept them in the air by introducing a bunch of characters that are going to get their own series and spin-offs and created a world in this gotham city where you do want to see uh what else is around i think when we did uh birds of prey uh like a couple years ago i talked about how like i love the fact that that gotham city at least felt like there was something happening in every corner of the city and you could run into any villain at any time and this movie like also successfully captures it but also feels like it won't just show you villains for the sake of showing them to you like each one can have a compelling story because matt reeves just has such a good understanding of the material well, I think with that, thanks everyone for listening. I know this is kind of a long one. And if you were able to break this one up, check it out and listen. We really It was a long it. movie. We're, we're lucky that we didn't go three hours ourselves. <laughs> I know. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for being patient. Thank you for so much for joining us on this ride. We hope you really enjoyed this week's episode. Next week, what do we got going for him? Well, originally this week, what we were going to do is we were going to rank our favorite Batman movies in order. But I think because we got together to do this Batman review, that we probably should do the ranking next week and uh, include, include this. <laughs> you know, I agree. Probably including this one. Yeah. <laughs> so... It's going to be better. Because I, I don't think we could go back in time to unsee this movie. It's just... It's changed so much of how we feel about it. I wish I could so I can enjoy it again. <laughs> anyway, thanks everyone. We appreciate you for listening. Uh, please uh, check us out on Spotify, on Apple Podcast. Podcast. Thank you. I'm not used to doing the closing out of the show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but please interact us- with us on social media. Again, I interacted probably more than I usually do because I was so like ready for the for the hype here. Um and again, thanks for staying with us while we get through some of these scheduling issues. Uh, it's hard not to make this a once every two weeks show right now because we really are trying to still find the sweet spot in our schedules. So, uh, yeah, some some weeks you might be thinking you're going to get an episode and then all of a sudden we kind of have to push back again. Please just hang in with us. There's only a maybe a few more weeks of this kind of situation that we're stuck in mm-hmm. um but we'll figure yes it out. <laughs> but, but yeah we'll, we'll figure it out and and once we get through our batman uh movie rankings episode then we'll get back to the regular movie a week format yeah so. drop us some suggestions also for anything you want to see after the ranking episode so thanks for joining us we'll talk to you guys next time later y'all